Welcome, welcome, my friends, to another episode of the Global CTE Podcast. I'm Sylvester Chisholm, your host. And this is the space where we really try to wrap a blanket of goodwill around the career tech education community and highlight those who are really doing the work, the best practices, the thought leaders, all sharing their information so we can all prepare our students for success in the global marketplace. Today is no different but it's a special, special treat. We have my great friend, Petri Ello, who is all the way from Finland. Now, let me tell you about Petri. Petri is an educator from Finland. He's an expert in combining theory and practice. He has an extensive career in teaching, training, and hands-on pedagogical and curriculum development. He turns his innovative and experimental practices with students into engaging and thought-provoking training concepts for educators worldwide. Literally, he is traveling the world sharing these resources. As a trainer and consultant, Petri has been praised for his passion, energy, and expertise on issues such as curriculum development, implementation, and innovative pedagogy from various viewpoints. Petri's way of combining theory and practice brings life to the key goals of the 21st century education. Petri, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sylvester, and, and thank you for having me. My pleasure, man. I'm, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I've talked to a lot of friends about this episode that I was interviewing you. And so I had some great questions that have that have come up. But before we jump into all of that, like, what are you tell me, what are you up to now? Like, what are you doing these days? Mm, yeah, I mean, uh... As, uh, well, your intro kind of uh, gave a, a thank you for the nice intro, by the way, and it gave a really good sort of peek in, into what I am doing. And I, I, I teach part time and I, I run my uh, uh, training company called PEDA Now, and it's basically a one man show. And uh, it's PEDA Now, it's me and I'm PEDA Now. And, and, uh, and that, that's what I do. I identify myself strongly as a teacher, but then I also am so passionate about, you know, humbly trying to share the experiences that I have in my classroom, the reflective thoughts that I have about teaching and learning to educators worldwide. And I've been very fortunate to, to work in the U.S. a lot and other parts of the world as well. And as you know, we met a couple of weeks ago when I was in St. Louis training some CT and world language teachers in, in uh, one of the districts. So uh, that's in a nutshell what I do, do and uh, I'm so happy that you decided to invite me to this podcast and, and we, can, we can talk about, you know, things that we're both very passionate about. Yeah, yeah we had, like speaking of that, um, salute to our good friend, uh, Amy Boskin. She coordinated a, a wonderful dinner for us and uh, with another friend from from World Savvy and and it was a it was a great conversation around education what's happening um, locally in our city of St Louis but then nationally across the U S and then internationally uh, you know what are some things that are happening so let's jump right into it the the question everyone wants to know okay what makes the Finland education system best in the world like what are you all doing that's different Petri like let's let's hear it. all right well now we have to remember that there is 
there is not one proven answer to this question and and somebody else might be you know answering this question a little differently but there are some sort of elements that have been commonly agreed that are the strengths of our education system and i also want to point out before i start praising my own <laughs> my <laughs> or finnish education system is that you know we are far from perfect and there are so many things that we could do better and learn from from other countries like us but uh, surely of course we've been doing well by any comparison and uh, I'll, I'll i'll just name a few sort of uh, components or or elements that we have here that you know are part of the difference that there is and and first i mean first thing again there are people who would disagree about this but okay. first thing i would say that our national core curriculum for for uh, basic education and and also uh, secondary level education is top notch and it's 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 an amazing curriculum to work with and i i truly believe and first hand experience is that you know that curriculum pushes me as a teacher exactly towards where I should be going in my mind. And also, if I listen to any, you know, conversation among scholars, leading scholars on our field, you know, internationally, those are the, the visions that they talk about, about student-centeredness and, and, you know, going beyond the content and, and really exploring concepts deeper than the surface level and not memorizing all these things there are they are right there in our curriculum and in finland it's all about you know how well can we implement this amazing curriculum whereas in many other countries the curriculum is the problem and mm. people people are eager to do something different but the curriculum is a problem so that's yeah. number one okay yeah. okay do you, Go ahead. Keep do going. you want keep to going. add or keep going no okay. no no all keep right going. yeah well, number two, and this is this is not when I say this, I don't mean necessarily that Finnish teachers are any better than anywhere else. I, I'm not trying to say that, but it is a fact that in Finland we have highly qualified teachers. All the teachers who have a permanent post or tenure must have a master's degree in education, and and uh, and that uh, teacher training program at the universities it's very rigorous and it 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 is it it stresses heavily on reflective teacher and the idea that as you grow as a professional the self reflective piece is such an important you know uh piece in your journey in becoming you know mm -hmm. growing as a professional and that is something that I value, and that is something when I did my teacher training back in the days was 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 the one what was the the biggest takeaway for me, and and also you know the rigorous theoretical background. What is what is learning all about, and what happens you know cognitively, and all these things fascinated me, and 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 sort of uh, made me realize that teaching truly is a profession that not just anybody can do you have to be a qualified teacher if you want to do it as a professional and and that sort of frame of mind when you think about teaching profession in finland that's very present and we are a respected you know right 
professional cohort of the society. And if I go to a cocktail party, I don't have to, you know, be ashamed of being a teacher. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to be ashamed of being a teacher in other places, but still, you know, talking to lawyers, doctors, whatever high-powered businessmen or women, I can say that I'm a teacher and I I I I, I get curious questions and not sort of dismissal. So so, so that's so the thing. respect the respect level is really high from a society standpoint for the educator, for the profession of being an educator. Yes. And and yes, that's in general. Right. Of course, we have exceptions. We have those parents who who think they can do our job better and they are very obnoxious and, and, you know, (laughs) come and tell us how to how to teach their kids. Of course, we have those. But I would say and somebody might disagree and somebody might have different experiences. But I would say that as a whole, as a society, we value the educational profession. I think I think that makes yeah. I think that makes a huge difference, man. Like be, for yeah. someone who's considering a career pathway as an educator that, you know, this is a respected profession um, that you can feel good about, you know, going into the cocktail party and having those conversations. Sure, sure. And and the fact that, and this is often very, uh, very uh, curious thing and striking, is that the way you say it? Like when I host American educator groups here in Helsinki, and I take them to the to our national agency of education where the cu- curriculum design is sort of happening. And mm-hmm. I tell them that everybody here who works here is an educator. And our curriculum, national core curriculum is designed by educators. They invite, you know, all the interest groups in and, you know, businesses and local, you know, whatever, uh, parents and and, and you yeah. know the, everybody yeah. is part of the conversation but the educators are the ones who make the decisions and design the curriculum and that as i believe is not the case always in your country mm-hmm. there let are me let me, other let, let me yes you just brought up an interesting point i want to ask you more about that uh what, what are some of the the key elements of that the finnish national core curriculum the key, yeah, the key elements uh, the, to, to, to me as a teacher, I, I, I think about, you know, from the teacher perspective all the time, because I'm, I, that, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher. And the key element is that our curriculum is, is very skill orientated. And the backbone of the whole national core curriculum is like the Finnish version of uh, 21st century skills seven different competencies we call them transversal competencies and those form the backbone and and those seven competencies when you think about uh subject specific curricula then those seven competencies are sort of uh, uh, made or written out subject specific so that the primary goals for teaching and learning for each subject are very skill orientated. And then we have content sort of learning objectives. I'm I'm thinking about the visual presentation down here, but the primary things that I see as a science teacher, for instance, are skill-based learning objectives like, you know, practicing cause and effect thinking and using it as a problem solving tool or, or, practicing how to execute scientific experiments and practice Mm -hmm. hypothetical thinking and these kind of things which are not content specific but they're general thinking skills general sort of uh, subject specific 
skills you need when you when you experience the subject and then we have like down here again the contents which are quite upper level then they don't go into its its details about like his i usually use history as a, mm -hmm. as an example if if we have like fifth grade history content objective or standard is middle ages that's what it says in our curriculum it doesn't give any more detail on what the students have to know about middle ages mm. because the main thing is that we learn about these skills that are 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 uh, are uh, connected to history learning history and then you know we will learn about middle ages there is material that directs us and we do common planning but still if you think about you know it's not that drastic if we if you and me learn a little bit different contents about middle ages the main thing is that we learn the skill-based learning objectives and then dig into different contents and so forth now yeah. that being said sylvester this is not implemented this like this in all the Finnish schools. You see okay. very traditional teaching in some schools, some teachers, you know, use a textbook page to page and this kind of thing. So this is the ideal. This is what the system wants us to do. It's not implemented everywhere like this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, it's, it's like, I, I get it. That is where, uh, that's the target. But the schools that are on the front end, uh, the innovative schools, I'm sure they're really pushing that, that skill focus uh, pretty heavily. Sure. I'm I'm curious. Talk to me how that. How would you apply that framework to a career tech education curriculum, or or class? Just curious how you would think about that, with something that's focused well, on the skill first. Sure. Uh, I'm not an expert on that, as you know. I'm I'm an elementary school teacher by training, and I've also been working a lot middle school level with with different subject teachers and, you know, coaching and co-teaching. But as I understand, you know, many of the CTE subjects are by nature, very, very skill orientated. Like right. if you think about, if you think about engineering and, you know, car mm -hmm. workshops and all these kind of things, you naturally combine theory and practice and content and practice when you fix motors and whatever, you know, things are right. being done in that class. So, it, it, and this is also when I was in St. Louis talking with some teachers, CT teachers, you know, they, they, when, when they were in my phenomenon based learning workshop, they sort of, uh, they, they said that this is spot on. And what our, like, couple of teachers said that the takeaway that I got from here is, you know, building the learning processes more rigorously and more thoughtfully for the students so that these skills and contents are even sort of it's more apparent for the for the students as well what is it that we're actually doing here and what is it that we're aiming towards so uh that's yeah yeah i, I, I like i like where you i like where you're saying where you're going with it it's just it's putting the the skill as the focal point first before like you start saying like like the history example you gave is just all these different things you have to learn about history. It's like, no, you can maybe implement it differently as long as you're covering these skills, you're going after, uh, after these skills. Yeah. Now I was, I was able to actually attend your workshop and I thought it was, it was, 
phenomenal. <laughs> but talk to me Thank about you. talk to me about what uh what do you mean by what is phenomenon based learning and how and how does it apply um, for educators? Can you share a little yeah. about that? Uh, sure, sure. That's one of my passions, definitely. And 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 the school that I I've been working at for for uh, for quite a few years now. Uh, is actually one of the front runners in phenomenon-based learning in Helsinki. And we've done a lot of work and I've been very involved in that sort of development work of making phenomenon-based learning work because it's not the easiest framework to implement, especially in the subject teacher sort of a mm -hmm. framework where you have different teachers for all the, all the subjects. So phenomenon-based learning is, is part of our national core curriculum, and it's, 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 it's a form of project-based learning. And, and the key is that it's always interdisciplinary. If you want to call something phenomenon-based learning, then it's interdisciplinary by nature. And secondly, it's, it's I know student-centered is a vague term, but what in this context, uh, what student-centeredness means is that, you know, projects where teachers design most of the things, the contents and the process and the assessment and even, you know, what should be presented in the end products, you know, that's that those can be very good learning experiences as well. This is not a matter of good or bad here, okay. but that's not phenomenon-based learning. Phenomenon-based learning is by nature student-centric in a way that you leave room for the student voice choice you know finding the angles that really interest students you know under the umbrella of whatever we're digging into uh, and and maybe Sylvester we could go into an example now about the sustainable development yeah uh, you know what I, I like that because yeah. that was my next that was my next yeah. question I love you yeah you're ahead yeah. of me there because how, how does that look like real world in the classroom, give me an example of how that looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's easier to to explain with a with a concrete example. So this is this is a, like a phenomenon based learning project that we've been running for our uh, uh, middle schoolers. Uh, the umbrella, the phenomenized uh, pheno uh, is sustainable development, which is very okay. complex. Of course, it's it's extremely complex you know, uh, uh, topic or phenomena. So, uh, and our seventh or eighth graders don't usually understand fully or even they might, some, some might not even understand what the term means, although it is embedded into our national core curriculum. And, you know, a lot of, you know, of course it's, it's present everywhere, but for students to understand the term and what does it actually mean, you know, we need to make the connection first. So uh, this is like a science interdisciplinary uh, uh, project that we run where we have physics and, and uh, chemistry and geography and a little bit of math, you know, involved. So what we do first, we start building the, the base understanding of what does sustainable development mean. And we sort of choose viewpoints from the subject sort of specific perspective. So we, we start the project being like subject specific and just digging into different viewpoints of uh, phenomenon-based learning, very teacher sort of orientated planning there. 
but the idea is to spark interest you know get the students have, have the aha moments of okay this is what it means and this is what it means you know connecting to my life and we're designing these lessons to be you know thought provoking and and something more than that just you know teacher explaining what things are but very sort of a active active learning and then after we have built that base knowledge which hopefully have has already sparked that interest we jump into uh, what we call a progressive inquiry model sort of a research process and there comes there we get to the essence of phenomenon based learning because there uh we start coll collaboratively brainstorming. So what is it that interests us as a cohort of, uh, of, of students here about this uh, uh, phenomenon and start, you know, uh, uh, you know, chopping down ideas, forming groups that we want to really dig into the natural disasters and what's happening around the globe, you know, regarding, yeah. regarding global warming and natural disasters. Somebody wanna, want, want, wants to be more, more sort of micro level and think about you know for instance we've had a project where where some uh you know they were happened to be boys and and they dug into you know uh how how, how they all played football or soccer okay. as it as okay. you call it so okay. uh what kind of carbon emissions are there when we drive to practice if we carpool can we can we cut our emissions and all these kind of things of course, teachers yeah. facilitating, helping as much as needed and pulling back as much as, as can, but 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 still, you know, the learning process was designed so that every single student, every single group were practicing the using and practicing the same kind of skill-based learning objectives mm -hmm. along the way, using those skills to take forward their learning process. But they were digging into very, very different content. Different project. And okay, so let me. Okay, okay, so let me. Yeah. Okay. Go, go. go so, ahead. So, so I'm really hearing a lot of emphasis on we're focused on the skill, but how we get there, we're okay with allowing the kids to come up with their own ideas, giving them choice and voice, as long as it's focused on getting us. Uh, to the learning of that of that particular skill right and so the yes. teacher becomes just like the facilitator how can i help you how can i guide you in in the direction of of your learning journey yeah well not necessarily because okay. what we have learned what we have learned that students but we cannot expect that students have let, let's use like art of questioning for instance that's that's an easy example one might think that it's very easy to create a research question but if you think a little deeper about that if you think about you know professional researchers they spend half a year you know fine-tuning their research question so that it will yield the kind of research mm -hmm. that they're looking for and and you know so that is a skill where we can't just you know facilitate in a way we have to sort of model and practice with our students very often how do you create different kinds of question what does a question lower level let's use okay. google's taxonomy here lower level question what do they look like are they good research questions is are you going to spend you know uh 
next three weeks be searching a what question? Mm -hmm. Probably not, because you're going to spend mm -hmm. half an hour researching a what question. But if you if you go, you know, if 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 we practice how to how to make more sophisticated questions, and 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 those kind of questions that are not too complex for us as seventh graders, because that's also very discouraging. If that question is too complex, and if I let as a teacher, I mean, this is a fine line, of course, because sometimes mm -hmm. you know something that I think think intuitively that is too hard for my students will then be actually they will be flying high but still judging by ex my experience if you can right away see that the research that the, the, the materials and everything that they're going to find for this question is is too scientific too higher level mm -hmm. to understand even for me then i should be redirecting my students to something that will enable them to have fun in learning and, and digging into and and, and 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 them still having the choice and the voice and the angle there, yeah. if you see what I'm saying. So it's not just facilitating, it's also rigorously modeling and practicing these different kinds of skills. And then they use these skills in their learning process. So it's a both. It is the modeling is very important, as well yes. as the facilitating, not just totally stepping yes. away, but you need to model it first. Now you just you just brought up the word fun. <laughs> now some some people believe that you know it's not good education, it's not high quality education if it's fun. Like, what are your thoughts on fun and you know and and, and the lessons and instruction? I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the craziest argument to make is that that it's if it's fun it's not learning because if you think about you know anything that you do professionally or if i think about anything that i do professionally uh, the the most productive and most innovative i am when i'm having fun that's for sure or if i have a yard project like mm -hmm. i might have talked to you about my yeah. deck project i yeah. mean that was fun that was challenging as heck with my <laughs> with my wife but that was fun and rewarding. And, yeah. and I mean, if you can combine fun and rigorous learning of things, then I mean, that's, that's what we should be aiming most of the time. 100%. 100%. Now listen, yeah. um, I, I did wanna ask you, this is a question about, it's, it's about education, but more so the ending result about work. And I, I was curious how people, your thoughts, your perspective on how people in Finland view work as it relates to this. As I was doing my research for this interview, I saw Finland was crowned the happiest country in the world for the fifth consecutive year. And that's according to the, the World Happiness Report. Now, I'm just curious, how do you believe uh, people in Finland view their work as it relates to quality of life and happiness? Yeah. That's that's a curious thing because Finns could not believe first time that we were sort of uh, <laughs> named the happiest country in the world. We were like, what? We're not that happy. Because <laughs> so, Finns don't, Finns are like not all Finns. Again, I'm generalizing, but compared right, right. to Americans, for instance, Finns are often more introvert, not smiling as much, not not laughing out loud as as much. But uh, so so to me, it is quite a mystery why Finland is 
so happy, but or seems to be, we seem to be very happy. But I would think, okay, here is one thing. If you think about, I was just, you know, talking to my superintendent uh, friend in, in Virginia, and I asked okay. about, you know, vacation time for administrators. And he was like, well, yeah, I took a week off and it was kind of hard to take a week off over summer. And, and I mean, the finish, even, even, you know, even people who work a lot and have, you know, high power positions take vacations and they might be off for four weeks, three weeks over summer, then you have your Christmas and, and so forth. So there is balance, again, generalizing. There are people right. who overwork themselves and work all the time and so forth. Mm -hmm. And teachers are stressed here as well. But still, I mean, I think Finns compared to many other nations can can separate the work and 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 free time better. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I would think. And then the the I don't know is the pace of life in general a little slower here? Uh, that's purely guessing. Purely guessing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nature okay. is very plays a very big part. Like I'm right now looking from my window to a forest basically and, and that you know nature plays a big part in many of the Finns daily life and you know things like that and sauna I don't know if there's yeah. that has anything to do with it but all the Finnish homes basically have a sauna and that's a very really? relaxing place to go to and that's and interesting I didn't I didn't know that chat. that's yeah. that's pretty cool yeah. and I like the, the the nature connection I know that's personally something that's important yeah. to me and you, to find yeah, time you to asked, connect with nature. Yeah. Yeah. You asked, actually asked me about work and I went on to different things, but no, but it was a good, it was a good answer because you took it to like more work life balance, like the connection of work yeah. to life, which, which we, sometimes you want to separate it, but you really can't because it's, it plays a, a big part. Most people spend a lot of their, um, their active hours during the day working on something or doing some version of work or ultimately they will. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I want to go back to something though. Like we, you mentioned it, uh, phenomenon based learning and the connection to interdisciplinary. You say it's just naturally interdisciplinary. What, what are some in, in your view, your perspective, some best practices around uh, implementing interdisciplinary curriculum? Uh, but, I mean, you, you have to, it, it, from my experience, again, it requires quite a bit of work often to get the teacher cohort working together, especially in the subject teacher world of, mm -hmm. of middle and high school and, and vocational schools. So that, that's the first thing. If you, if you have a group of teachers who don't really see the value in collaborating in in this way some teachers see an immense value in co collaborating within the subject with colleagues and co-plan and you know innovating within one subject area but but first you have to build that sort of a trust between teachers mm -hmm. that they trust each other they respect each other and and they feel that okay when I start working with this cross or interdisciplinary cohort, there is something that these people value in me and, and 
I can surely learn from them and get that kind of collective efficacy kind of a frame of mind built. And that's a leadership question, again, facilitating right. that kind of time in schools. And then uh, when that is there, then it truly is uh, about curriculum alignment, of course, because a teacher has to feel that this makes sense to me when I think about my curriculum. If, if I feel that this is not, I'm not fulfilling or meeting my curricular standards in this project, then I feel that let's just get it out of the way and I can go back to my regular teaching. Mm -hmm. So you have to make interdisciplinary learning regular teaching. And that's something that we have quite well succeeded in, in my school or the school that I've been working at for, 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 for years, that it's, it's not like something extra or something extraordinary that we do. It's part of the regular sort of cycle of the school year. We have these projects here and there and first graders are doing it now and then second and whatever. So those are the key things. And then when you have done that curriculum alignment, especially from the skill-based learning objective viewpoint, then you can start sort of building the learning processes. And if you have that frame of mind that, okay, even if the content that these students are digging into in my chemistry lesson is more biology heavy. They're still practicing the same skills that I have in my chemistry curriculum. So I am actually sort of meeting my curricular goals, although the mm -hmm. content is not. So it's, it's a new way of thinking how to teach your subject, basically. And when you find that sort of switch in your head and brain, then it starts making sense. And then you start feeling that it's worthwhile and fun, you know, yeah. collaborating across the, yeah. that's the it, man. That's, subject. that's, a, that's a great example. I mean, you really laid it out from, uh, from the leadership standpoint down to the, the classroom facilitation uh, standpoint. Uh, I, I have a surprise for you. Our friend, Amy Boskin has a question uh, Amy Boskin, uh, director of CTE in the Parkway School District, she says, can you please ask Petri this? What needs to change in the U.S. education system to create more workforce readiness? Any thoughts on that? Well, this is a... This is a really <laughs> tough question for for uh, well, I've been I've been to U.S. fair amount, I have right. to say, and I've been working with several school districts in several several states. But I still, when I answer this, I have to. I, I want you listeners all just you know <laughs> just thinking about you can disagree with me, and this might not be even a right analysis. But I'm just gonna mm -hmm. say what comes to my mind but with caution. Okay. So uh, I would think that the main thing is that the society, it's not, it's not the educators as such, because I believe that you educators already value the career path education along with high school. Mm -hmm. But as a society, I've learned and observed that you know high school and the college route is still something that is very much expected from everybody and it's college talk college talk you know from yep. quite early years onwards and that switch 
from society perspective that it's a respectable choice to get a a degree in a trade alongside maybe because in finland you don't you might just get the degree in 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 your trade and not the high school mm-hmm. diploma i know you have dual di- diplomas but let's talk about that but it has to be a respectable choice by the society that you know after getting your high school and your vocational school you know dual diploma you can start working you don't have to go to college if you're passionate about you know your trade whatever it is you know car mechanics or welding or or hairdressing or what whatever that might be go and develop your trade and then if after two years you want to go to college you go to college if if it's possible for you of course i know it's immensely expensive in your country but but still that's the main thing that i would say and i would guess that many of you would agree with me that's a that's a great response man great response and and i, I like how you just made the connection to society because it plays such a a big role you're so right it's like from early on it's like college 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 what college will you go to what college will you go to when mm-hmm. honestly that's not even the end game it's like you go to college for said career or profession or job but the emphasis should be put on that part like who you who you desire to be like you know what uh, what are your passions? Passion? What are your what are your interests that Interest. we can explore? Uh, or, and if that requires college, then yes. But the focus should be on that. And that's like that's a huge societal sure. mental shift. But you're starting to see it play out though now, especially in the career tech education space. You're starting to see that shift. Yeah. Last question for you, man. Like. You've you shared so many great gems and insights. I know you're busy traveling the world. If someone wants to get on your schedule or, or try to, to get you to, to come and, and offer some professional development or some workshops with their school district, how do they get in touch with you? Um, you want to share any insights on that? Yeah, I mean, very easy. You can go to my website peranow.com and and you can find my uh, contact info from there and uh i'm i yes i'm very eager to work with any any schools or school districts anywhere in the world just you know figuring out figuring out what is it that our kids need nowadays and it it usually is quite universal and 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 the the coolest thing i'll, I'll tell you sylvester the coolest thing in what I do for me is that, you know, I'm a one man show, Peranao is me. So what I can do very easily is to sort of customize all my services within, of course, my expertise. Right. I don't, (laughs) but my expertise are quite, quite, quite wide to, to customize, to really, you know, start, you know, exploring with the potential client, you know, what is it, what are your visions on your school district and what is it that you need? And then figuring out if my expertise, you know, meet those needs and then just going crazy with the solutions that we can, we can do. For instance, you know, in couple of, couple of school districts in, in US, I've, I've actually done co-teaching with teachers. I've done co-planning, uh, really? you know, on, online co-planning of very innovative lessons, 
student-centric lessons, you know, using strategies, pedagogical strategies that the teachers have not been using before, and then having a week on site or whatever amount of time on site and actually going into the classrooms and, and running those lessons with the teachers and reflecting afterwards, you know, what are the things that we saw in, in, in the students and how, how did it feel and so forth. And that is inspiring for me and it has been very impactful for, for, for the teachers as well. And, and, you know, any kind of solutions and that's fun again. I keep on bringing fun, but I mean, that's such a cool thing to start designing something out of the box. Yeah. And that, 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 that's what I'm always looking for. I, I, I love it. I love it. So love it. again, the website, say the website for me one more time. Petanow.com. All right. Petanow.com. Listen, I, uh, I encourage anyone who's listening to check my friend out. He's doing great work. Um, I've seen it firsthand. So um, just just the thought, the perspective, sometimes it's good to hear how other people are doing things, man, just so that you can add those insights into uh, your school district, your classroom or your planning activities. Um, so thank you so much, Petri, for joining us, sharing your knowledge, sharing your insights. Hey, to all my listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like it, share it, subscribe to the podcast so you're the first to know. And remember, as I always say, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. Until the next episode, peace.